Hello, strangers. Welcome to a new episode of Strange Talk Podcast. First off, let me get this out of the way. I want to apologize to um, my loyal listeners. Yeah, right. No, I'm joking. But I do want to apologize to anybody who has been looking forward to new episodes from Strange Talk Podcast. I'm sorry that I haven't put anything out in, what was it, like about two, three weeks almost, I think it is now. Um, But who's keeping count, really? Um... I haven't really done anything in a while because I just wanted a break, I guess, a little bit just to like kind of um, just recollect my thoughts because I was in my funk and everything and I was just going through some personal shit and stuff. So I just didn't really like I didn't I couldn't find the not that I couldn't find the time, but I couldn't find the energy to really just put my effort into it. And I and if I'm being honest with you, I really didn't want to record this episode per se because I want to give you guys good quality episodes. I want to I want to go back to the way I used to have it, like when I did episodes like, say, the Chris Watts episode, when I actually put effort into the episodes. And I'm sort of putting effort into this um, particular episode, um, but I'm not going to be doing like the usual audio that I have. I'm not going to have my intro obviously that I don't have and maybe that's a good thing because I know there were a few people that didn't really like the new uh intro per se and everything but you know but yeah that's why I haven't really been around in some time um but I'm not going away I'm coming back I'm hopefully gonna try to keep going back into my schedule of having a new episode come out every Wednesday have a new this week in crime come out but it's been quite a while I've been uh just going through my shit I'm kind of getting over my shit now. I feel like I'm getting my shit together. I put it in a backpack. I'm just getting it... Get my shit together. If anybody gets that reference, you're fucking cool. But anyway, so uh, how have you guys been? I hope everything's been good on your guys' end. Um, I appreciate everybody who has spoken to me and has told me kind things and just thought about me over the past two or three weeks, I think it's been. So thank you to everybody who's reached out. But um, yeah, so... I'm here bringing back a new episode for you guys. Um, I want to continue. Maybe not this episode, obviously. It's not going to be a heavy edited episode. Um, It's just going to be mainly talking about the cases that I have for you guys. But I do hope you guys enjoy the cases that I have for you. Maybe it's some that you've never heard of. Um, I know maybe at least one of them you probably heard of. But the second one that I have for you guys, I I didn't even know about. I never heard about it. And it actually is a pretty interesting one. If I do say so myself. But having said that, uh, thank you guys uh, for listening to today's episode. Uh, So without further ado, let's get to it. So the first case that I have for you guys is going to be called The Killer beauty queen that's a very interesting case it's one that i didn't actually know about um until actually doing research for particular cases and everything um and it's just an interesting one because it has like a bit of like it has like something it, it, it honestly is that's why i'm saying that real life is always stranger than fiction uh take for instance um when i first read the case and i first uh did the research for it and everything I kind of thought of movies like um, Heartbreakers. Heartbreakers? What the fuck? No, that's that one. That's, that's a movie with um, Jennifer Love, Huge Tits, and Sigourney Weaver, where they're con artists by uh, using their 
devilishly good looks to lure rich people and con them out of their money. But no, I'm not referring to that film. I'm actually thinking about the teen fucking movie from the 90s or early 2000s, I believe, called Jawbreakers, if you ever heard of it. Um, there's that movie. Uh, I can't think of anything else that, that would be similar. Just that movie kind of... It's not so much. It's just because this story involves about a girl who is bullied, and she actually had the disease alopecia, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know if it's a disease or a disorder. I believe it's just a disease. But if you don't know what alopecia is... It's basically, um, I had a friend who actually had that growing up um, when we were kids. He knows who he is if he listens to my podcast. He, you know who you are, man. But anyways, um, but he suffered from that and she and she did. And who I'm speaking of, her name is pronounced Christina Marie Paulila. I believe is how you pronounce her last name. Um, and you know me, Strange Talk Podcast. If you're coming here for, for professionalism, you came to the wrong podcast. But anyways, um, her name is Christine Marie Paulila. And she suffered from alopecia at a very young age all throughout middle school and beginning in high school, I believe, is when it still was there with her. And if you don't know what alopecia is, it's basically where um, it's brought on by stress. It's brought on from a number of things. Uh, But for her, it was dealing with a very traumatic childhood and you lose all your hair, including your eyebrows. So you have no hair. Your hair just starts falling out. And that's what she suffered from. So unfortunately, she was actually bullied and made fun of a lot. But let's get on to the actual thing. Um, Christine Paulila was born on in Long Island, New York, on March 31st, 1986, to Lori, a stay-at-home mom, and Charles Paulila, a construction worker. When she was two years old, her father died. That's that's what I believe is the cause of her, of her getting alopecia. Just that stress is experiencing such, something at such a young age followed by her grandfather and great-grandmother. When she was seven years old, Paulila went to live with her grandparents. As a young girl, Christine was diagnosed with alopecia and began wearing wigs. During her childhood, Paulila's self-confidence was very low. Paulila attended Clear Lake High School in Houston, Texas, where she befriended students Rachel Coloridas, sorry, I was trying to practice how to pronounce that last name, but it's such a weird last name, and Tiffany Rowell, who helped her fit in with the other students and in 2003 she was voted miss irresistible by her school students body that year she also began a relationship with a 21 year old christopher lee snyder okay so christina paulila was viciously bullied viciously bullied in high school over the outlandish wigs and messy drawn on eyebrows she wore to hide the fact that she was bald as a young child suffering from alopecia when Tiffany Rowell and Rachel Coloridis, Coloridis, we'll just say Colo for now, two of the most popular girls at suburban Clear Lake High School outside Houston, Texas, befriended her, they made Paulila into a new woman. They taught her to dress. They taught her how to dress and do her makeup. They helped her buy more attractive wigs. When they were done with her transformation, Christine was voted Miss Irresistible by her classmates. But police say a dark, jealous streak drove 17-year-old Paulila, along with her drug addict boyfriend, to gun down Raul and Coloridis, <laughs> both 18, along with Raul's boyfriend and his cousin. The killings were committed in such a brutal fashion that police concluded they were the result of deep personal hatred. Raul and Coloridis were both shot multiple times, including in the crotch, evidence 
of sexual envy. When Christine realized Chloridas was still alive, despite being shot 12 times, she grabbed the barrel of her pistol and, holding it like a hammer, used the butt of the handle to bash in her best friend's head as she choked on her own blood. The cold-blooded murders remained a mystery that baffled police for three years. Okay, Investigators never suspected a 17-year-old friend could be responsible for such a horrendous crime. A new book named Never See Them Again by true crime writer M. William Phelps exposes the gut-wrenching story of a teen plagued by drug abuse and consumed by jealousy who turned on the only people who wouldn't stab me in the back. Revelation comes as little surprise. In retrospect to the family of her 21-year-old boyfriend at the time, Chris Snyder, in Snyder's house, Christine became known as the psycho, according to Snyder's sister, Brandy, for her obsessive behavior and crushing jealousy. Snyder called the police on Christine several times. When they would fight, Christine would sleep on Snyder's front lawn until he let her inside. She rattled the screen door and tried to break into the house. She demanded violently rough sex from him, as if she wanted him to punish her. That's pretty hot. (laughs) But Snyder, for his part, was no choir boy. He was pushy and aggressive and had a hard drug habit. Raul and Chloridis urged Paulila to dump him, saying she could do much better for himself. When Christine confessed to her crimes three years later, she says it was Snyder's idea to visit her two friends and rob them. By this time, Raul and Chloridis had graduated and were pulling in large cash tips working at a local strip club. Nice. Raul was dating Marcus Ray Priscilla, 19, who dealt cocaine and ecstasy. 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 In the afternoon on July 18, 2003, Christine and Snyder went to visit Raul and Chloridis, who were home with Priscilla uh, and his cousin, Elderbert Nicholas Sanchez, and he was 21 at the time of this incident. Christine said Snyder surprised her by thrusting a pistol into her hand before the robbery. He surprised her again during the robbery, she said, by shooting Priscilla. Christine says the first shot triggered a rampage inside her. She claimed the gun went off on its own and she began firing blindly and sobbing. (laughs) That's kind of a scary situation if, like, you're still alive and she hasn't killed you yet. To just see, like, her just psychotic, psychotic, psychotic break and her just like she's just like fucking like shooting like god knows where she's shooting if she's hitting anybody at this point but that has to be a very scary thing to witness but police say the crime scene they discovered four bloody bodies in the living room of a home in suburban clear lake city texas showed a clear-eyed execution they counted 40 shots fired most were directed at raul and Chloridis. Um, Christine shot both women in the groin, wounds that were absent in the men. Chloridis was wounded in the buttocks. She was wounded in her butt, meaning she was likely shot trying to run away. As she choked on her own blood, Christine walked over, police say, and repeatedly bashed her in the head with the butt of her pistol. Police noted distinctive overkill in the female victims, meaning their killer had intense personal animosity toward them. This behavior from Christine didn't surprise Brandy Snyder. She said, I remember her being intensely jealous. There must have been some underlining jealousy between Paulila and Chloridis. 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 When I saw photos of Chloridis, I knew instantly she was very beautiful. 
A break in the case didn't come for three years. Christine had just married a man she met in rehab when a TV special on the unsolved Houston murders came up on TV. She saw, she saw a sketch of the suspect. It looked just like her. That's when Christine confessed to her new husband. The pair went on the run, staying in a hotel room for seven months straight without leaving the room. I have no idea what they did for fucking food. I, well, I imagine maybe Christine probably didn't leave. I imagine she just like told him, like, oh, you know, you go get the food. We're on the run, bitch. You go get the food and I'll stay here. When police acting on a tip caught up with Christine, they found a fetid room littered with more than 100 needles from heroin use and smeared with dog feces all in the room. That's disgusting. When officers closed in on Snyder, he ran into the woods with a bottle of pills and soda. They found him dead from a deliberated, dr- deliberate drug overdose. That's not like I said overdose, overdose. Like I said, this is Strange Talk Podcast, man. If you want professionalism, go to Creep It Real Podcast, last podcast on the left, or um, whatever podcast sells that sounds more professional, like lore or something. This is Strange Talk Podcast, man. It's guerrilla podcasting. In the great words of one of the most greatest men I've ever met in my life, as Rocky the Collector once said, this is guerrilla podcast making. <laughs> so, Christine never fully confessed to her part in the killings, she always blamed most of her actions on Snyder. However, thanks to testimony from her new husband, a jury convicted her of four counts of capital murder because she was a minor during the killings. She was spared the death penalty and sentenced to 40 years to life in prison. That's unfortunate. So that's the first short case that I had for you guys. I wonder if you guys ever heard of it, but she is a killer beauty queen. Um, it's crazy because they befriended her. Um... I believe when I read in another, uh, I didn't actually mention it because it wasn't actually confirmed or not. It was just simply like, it, it came from like a witness that witnessed like the friendship blossoming between Claritas uh, and Christine and everything and, and Raul. Um, so I don't know if it, it's, it's just more like hearsay rather than an actual confirmed fact. But what the person did say was that um, they had class with them and they noticed that in the beginning they were actually kind of mean to her they were they would actually bully christine um because they knew that she suffered from alopecia and she would wear wigs in high school um but it wasn't until they felt actually kind of bad for her um after a while uh that they actually became friends with her and actually sat down and spoke to her and got to know christine the person rather than just what she suffered from alopecia and then then they became good friends they did the whole makeover thing and then for some reason maybe she start maybe just because of the fact that even though they became friends maybe christine just still harbored that hatred because they did bully her who knows no one really knows except for christine paulila um but yes she became a killer beauty queen and it's a it's a crazy thing because even after graduating high school and everything she it was a full turnaround for her she became um miss irresistible she was voted miss irresistible by her students and i've seen pictures of her she was very she was attractive yes despite having alopecia you wouldn't i mean you kind of know because you could tell she's wearing wigs but i'm not gonna lie i'd probably still hit it i would i'd fucking tear that wig off (laughs) but Let's move on to the next case that I have for you guys.
So this next case that I have for you guys is going to be called With Friends Like These. And it's of a, it's kind of a high-profile case. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, I've heard about it when it first happened. Um, I briefly heard about it um, through news channels and outlets and things like that that kind of just pass it around. And only particular, because maybe this might give it away, but... The reason why it was kind of a high-profile case is because it kind of sparked a debate about if violence in movies can contribute violence in a person to commit the same murder, sort of like a copycat. Because the person that committed the murder said they were inspired by the film Scream. That's the reason why they chose to do what they did, because they kind of wanted to recreate that scene, I guess, in the movie Scream. And the particular scene I'm talking about is where they just stab somebody. Well, if you don't know what this case is, this is of the unfortunate and sad murder of Casey, or I'm sorry, Cassie Joe Stoddard. I don't know why I keep saying Casey, but it's Cassie Joe Stoddard. And it's funny because before I even start recording, I was practicing, please don't say Casey. Don't say Casey. And that's the first thing I fucking did. So let's get to it. Cassie Joe Stoddard was a 16-year-old girl destined for greatness. She had lots of friends and was a straight-A student and relatively stayed out of trouble. In Pocatell, Idaho, where she was from, it was largely a Mormon town in southeast Idaho, where life was simple and it was the kind of place that everyone knew everyone. But all of that changed, however, in September of 2006. On September, of, uh, on September 22, 2006, Cassie had agreed to house-sit for her uncle, Frank Cantieras and his wife, Allison, for the weekend at the Whispering Cliffs residence. That Friday night, her boyfriend, Matt Beckham, invited Brian Draper and Tori Adamick, or Adam, Adam Kick. I really don't know how to pronounce that last name, Adam Sick or Adam Kick. We're, gonna, we're just going to say Tori Adam, for now, to come over to watch a movie. After a while, the two boys said that they'd rather go to a local movie theater instead, because there was a particular horror film that they wanted to, because... Brian Draper and Torum Adamkick, I believe it was Tori Adamkick who recently moved, I believe a couple years ago, uh, prior to the incident unfolding, had moved to Pocatello, Idaho, and he was a really quiet student. It wasn't until Brian Draper started talking and conversing with them, and they both bonded over their love of horror movies, and they both wanted to become filmmakers. They would constantly hang out with each other and record their own amateur films. Approximately 15 minutes after Adamick and Draper departed, the power at Whispering Cliff's residence went out while Cassie and Matt were watching a movie. At that time, Matt called his mother to ask for permission to stay the night at Cass- as Cassie was frightened by the power being out. However, the mother denied his request. Matt was picked up by his mother a short while later. When Matt was about to leave, he called Adamick to Adam yeah, Adamick to inform him that he would be going home. After Brian Draper and Tori learned that Matt would go home, they re-entered the house. As they entered the home, Brian cut the lights at the circuit breaker, making the house inside pitch black. While they were hiding in the basement, they hoped Cassie would go downstairs in order to put the power back on. However, most likely too frightened to go down, Cassie stayed in the living room. So they went upstairs themselves a short time later, disguised with masks and dark clothing and stabbed Cassie to death. 
The autopsy revealed that she had been stabbed approximately 30 times, with nine of those stabs being fatal. Cassie's 13-year-old cousin was the one who found Cassie dead on the living room floor of the house nearly two days later, as the family did not return home until Sunday. Three days later, Brian and Tori were arrested and charged with the murder. In their interrogations, both of the assailants blamed each other, but it was later found that they had recorded a video of their plan to murder Cassie before the attack. They also revealed that they had intentionally cut the power and that they had never gone to the movie theater. Instead, they had been waiting for Cassie to be alone so they could attack her. Horrendously, Matt and, and Adam Gick, Mick spent the following day together. Matt tried repeatedly to call Cassie throughout the day but was unable to get an answer. So, Tori was hanging out with Matt Beckham, Cassie's boyfriend, the day after she was murdered. And Matt was frantically trying to get a hold of her because he was worried that his girlfriend wasn't at school or wasn't around and wasn't taking his phone calls. But this sick fuck, Tori, Adamick, was just hanging out with him as if nothing happened. That sucks. During the investigation, a video was found of Draper and Adamick talking about killing Cassie right after the murder had taken place. Brian Draper led authorities to a canyon in which they had hidden the knives and clothing they had used when committing the murder. It was found out that he was enthralled by the Columbine High School shootings and admired the two shooters, Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold. Just like Randy Robert Stairs, who saw the shooters as heroes and ended up killing three people at a grocery store. That's what Robbie, Randy Robert Stairs did. He killed three people at a grocery store. Additionally, it was widely known that Adamick had a strong interest in horror movies, admitting he was inspired by the Scream horror franchise and mockumentaries. While Cassie's entire family has undoubtedly suffered from grief as a result of this terrible loss, three family members in particular have been greatly impacted. Frank and Allison Contreras, whose house Cassie was murdered in, left their house that day and never went back. The local sheriff's office helped with temporary housing and cleaning up the scene of the crime, but the Contreras family could never bring themselves to go back in. They have tried to sell the home each year since the attack, but no one wants to buy a house with such a horrible history. Frank's stepdaughter, who had found Cassie's body, suffered a breakdown and actually attempted suicide at one point. Cassie Joe Stoddard's family filed a lawsuit against the school district, claiming that the school should have foreseen that Brian Draper and Torum Adamick posed a threat to others. The case was dismissed, however, with the courts claiming that the actions were not foreseeable and the school district was not at fault in any way. The only silver lining Cassie's family has is knowing that their kill her killers have been brought to justice and are currently serving life terms in prison. Every so often, the men and their lawyers will appeal the conviction, so far to no avail. avail. We can only hope that judges who hear these cases continue to make the right decision and honor the memory of Cassie Joe Stoddard. On September 27, 2006, Draper agreed to show the officers where he and Adamick had attempted to dispose of items used in Stoddard's murder. Together with several detectives and his father, he went to the Black Rock Canyon area and directed the detectives to a site where evidence from the murder was buried. A partially burned note was later recovered that may have been the note written at this time. At trial, one of the detectives testified that he believed this note to have been written by Adamick. 
The portion of the note that was not burned reads, Is home alone? Stop out the house. Runs into Tori. We murdered Cassie. Is home alone? House. Brian chases her. Unclear, unclear, as the message was burned. Kill her. If Cassie plus Matt come home, a noise. Unclear. Kill Matt. Unclear. So that was written on a note that they they wrote. I, I don't know. I think prior to the killing of Cassie or after. So that's that's it for that case. And that's all I have for this episode. But just so you know, I will be playing the audio of the night of the minute, not the minute, but of the moment before they the moment that they're driving to Cassie Joe Stoddard's um family's house and then after you're, so you're going to hear the audio it's, it's, it's a brief video it's just about a minute and 50 seconds long I believe to be exact so it's not very long but you're going to hear the audio that they have before they murdered her as they're talking as they're driving to her house and then as they're driving away from it after they just committed the murder of killing Cassie Joe Stoddard so we're going to play that audio for you right now People. I know it's a wrong thing, but you hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie's daughter. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. I was 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. We know there's lots of doors. There, there's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors. That's all locked. Now we just gotta wait. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I oh just killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like fucking real. I mean, it went by so Shut fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. So that's it. For this episode of Strange Talk Podcast, thank you everybody for taking the time to listen to good old me, Strange Talk Podcast. And uh, without you, the listener, so thank you because without you, the listener, Strange Talk Podcast would not be where it is today. Um, so yeah, <laughs> thanks again. Um, so again, sorry that I haven't really been putting out anything um, for the people that enjoy listening to the show, who enjoy coming back and listening to me fuck up last names. Because like I said, if you want professionalism, there's plenty of other podcasts that you can listen to. So having said that, because there are so many different podcasts that you can listen to, thank you for choosing to listen to Strange Talk Podcast. Uh, but Follow me on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast, where you can keep up to date to episodes that I'm working on. Even though I haven't really been posting a lot on there, I post mainly the occasional memes once in a while, mainly in my stories. Sometimes, once in a blue moon, I'll, I'll post a meme or something about the episode that I'm working on. Um, I have a couple episodes that I'm working on, but it's because I did announce a while ago that I was working on an episode about the Toy Box Killer, and I still want to get that episode out. It's just I want to make that episode a really... Um, edit heavy 
um, episode, meaning like my episodes like the Chris Watts episode or the episode that I did. If you're so, if you're new to the podcast, go and check those out because those are when I actually put effort into it. And I hate that I'm admitting that, but yes, I did actually put effort into those. And surprisingly, the Chris Watts episode is actually my number one like episode, top most listened to episode, and then the rest are the 911 calls. Uh, so I guess that goes to show you that sometimes the heavy edited ones aren't really all that great. <laughs> but um, enough self-deprecating humor. Uh, but so yeah, um, just go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast. If you have an idea or a serial killer that you want me to talk about that I haven't yet, or if you have a particular case that you want me to talk about, you know, send it my way via Instagram by DMing me at Strange Talk Podcast or emailing me at Strange Talk Podcast at Outlook.com. What's that email again? It's Strange Talk Podcast at Outlook.com. You can send it to me and I'll be more than happy to make that happen for you but um again if you can't help me out by donating money or helping out keeping the show going um the best way you can help me out is by rating the the podcast i don't know why i can't talk right now by rating the podcast on itunes or wherever it is that you listen to if it allows you to rate the show please do so and don't just just don't rate me rate me whatever you feel i deserve if you truly feel i I deserve one star then by all means do it i don't care as long as you just rate it because rating it rating the show helps the show get seen so another thing you can do as well is rate the show by not only rating the show but by actually posting um not posting but showing your friends who enjoy true crime and you know just sending them my way and say like hey check out this guy he's not that great but he's kind of funny sometimes mainly i laugh at him because of the way he pronounces last names and his non-professionalism but there you go you know that helps me out a ton just getting the show around and saying it to new people that actually helps out the most so again thank you for listening to today's episode i hope you'd enjoy it And as always, stay strange.